One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is the Ruck Times and Sunday Times weekly podcast. Do it with you. It's getting serious now. The Six Nations begins in less than two weeks, and even without fans, it does still stir the blood. Today, uh, to talk about the Six Nations, we have Loris Dalio and Owen Slot, two of our Gold Star regulars. And then after that, in part two, two arguably even more famous characters, Sarah Hunter, the England rugby captain, and Eleanor Snowthorne who's been absolutely magical for Wales for 50 caps and beyond, recently in the news for more difficult things than just rugby. We'll come to that, we'll come to our two women's superstars later, but for now, Eddie Jones has got a new squad out. Brand new, not quite with the same controversy as normal. I've seen most people, most people, but not all, think he was pretty much on the mark. Lawrence, overall impressions of the squad? Uh, well, good morning, Jonesy. Um, yeah, it's great to uh, to be back and international rugby on the uh, on the on the kind of agenda. Um, yeah, I mean, I think um, Eddie Jones d- didn't pull too many surprises. I mean, a couple of new players, which uh, which clearly you know is his right to do. Wants to freshen up. It's it's funny, isn't it? Sometimes players get picked on form, and sometimes the players playing banging form don't get picked. If you're a Sam Simmons, you're going right. Well, if form is a is a real indicator of uh, of selection, mm. then you know I'm a little bit mystified. And then if you're Harry Randall and uh, Paolo Dogwu, you're thinking I've been playing in the team not very long, uh, Bristol and Wasp respectively. You know, for for Dogwu only a couple of games, and and suddenly catapulted in with 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 X factor. So yeah, selection is is always a bit of a, a strange one. But uh, I think with the uh, with the slightly shortened squad, what Eddie Jones has brought, what 28, 28-man squad now, whereas ordinarily, you know, players would be there till Wednesday and then they'd be given back to their clubs. I think, obviously, he's had to be um, be a bit more measured with his thinking because he's got a group of players he's going to keep together for a while. But I like the look of the squad. It's, you know, it's it reflects where England are. It's, it's fairly settled. Um, he's trying to inject a little bit of competition, having prepared for the World Cup with only two scrum halves, he's now decided that it might be sensible to have three scrum halves in your squad. So, <laughs> so I think there's definitely a, a change of, of thought for Eddie because he's got to think about bringing other players through. And I like the fact that they've been rewarded for, for form. In terms of the props, um, yes, obviously losing two of their 
very best props, two of the best props in the world, really. Carl Sinclair and, and Mako Vunapola is, is going to have a, a, an impact, particularly given the fact that it's an area that Scotland, I think, have really uh, improved on enormously in the last um, in the last year or so. But, um, you know, we talk about form. It, even in a, in a losing bar side, Ben Urbano has been, uh, has been outstanding. I really like to see Harry Williams get a bit more opportunity at test level. So, I'm... I'm well, you know, whilst I'm disappointed that for Carl Sinclair and, and, and Maka, I'm actually delighted because I think the, the two guys coming through have got a really good opportunity to uh, to impress. Oh, in um, the two, um, I suppose, bolters in the squad, Lawrence had just touched on them there with Harry Randall and um, Paolo Adogbu. But just before we talk about them, there's a very interesting article interviewed by yourself in The Times this morning about Ollie Lawrence, who's been in the team for a bit, but not really had a great chance to shine through. First of all, he seemed to be a bit of a character. Secondly, do you, they clearly see him as a kind of, as the new Manu. How much, how much as yet do you rate him as a player? Well, every time I've seen him for Worcester this season, I think he's um, he's really showed well. I think he's a really, really good, potentially outstanding international player. He, he he's, he's sort of always been um, given this tag of <clears throat> the next Manu, but because he is a, a powerful midfield ball carrier, he's not quite like Manu. And I don't think he'll break tackles in quite the same way. But he's also yeah. got he's also got a lot more rugby in him than, than, than Manu has. In that he was um, on the books for Aston Villa and, and Birmingham City, so he's a pretty good footballer, and he's got a really good kicking game. He's got a he's got a really sharp rugby brain, and he's got really good hands. So he could actually potentially do more. Um, the question uh, really is if Eddie's ever going to allow him to do any of that. Well, what, what about Harry, Harry Randall? Clearly, um, meteor, a meteor so far. Do you expect him to see any action in the first few games? Geez, that's like saying I can understand what's going through Eddie Jones's head, isn't it? Sorry, that was a ridiculously tough question. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Lord, who knows? It, I mean, Lawrence is right. We've been waiting for we've been waiting for the whole of the sort of the Eddie era to to get three scrum halves in there and, and start sort of a training up a little bit of competition and a bit of depth. Uh, and, and now the squad's gone down to twenty eight, and and that's so, so perverse that that's the time he decides to put three in there. But, but anyway, so he's got three. I can't guess what he's going to do do with them. Apart from the, all evidence suggests he'll stick with Ben Young. So what? So does that mean he's got Harry Randall and Dan Robson competing for the second spot? I don't actually think Eddie really ever rated Dan Robson. I think he's he's there because he can't find anyone better. And he now thinks someone better might have come along, which is really hard on on Robson because I think he's outstanding too. So do I. I think Eddie, I think he he has blind spots as well. Uh, Lawrence, um, Courtney Law is back in the team, was playing brilliant, brilliantly in the World Cup, really now is the senior forward. Probably gives him, possibly gives him the opportunity of uh, of two positions. I mean, how big is it? Is Laws being back there? Because to be fair as well, they have got other second rows. Joe Launchbury said, you know, sort of career revi- revival. Do you see Courtney getting action against Scotland? I do. I like the look of the England pack. I really do. I think Maritoji and Joe Launchbury have really set themselves up as the partnership, to be honest with you. I mean, you know, talk about people changing Eddie Jones's point of view. I think Joe Launchbury is a classic example of that because, um, you know, when he first started, don't think Eddie Jones thought he was vocal enough in terms of being a leader. Don't think he thought he was tough enough, if I'm honest. Didn't have a great World Cup by Joe Launchbury standards, you know, a couple of minutes against the USA and then, and that was it. But I think he's actually played his way into Eddie Jones's mind. So I think Courtney Laws does come into the reckoning, but um, very much as a, maybe as a six to start with. And then 
a second row if, if one of those two drops off. So uh, I just think it gives England a lot more options across their line out um, and their ball carrying. A lot. I prefer the balance of the back row with, I mean, I'm, a, I, I'm still a, a Sam Underhill or Tom Curry, not and personally, I think you can have one, one starting and one on the bench because I think it gives the back row a better balance with someone like a Courtney Laws in there. So, yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of his. Hopefully, um, the time away from injury, he would have worked very hard, as I'm sure he will. Obviously, Jack Willis, a bit unlucky not to miss out. The, 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 big, the big sort of, and I know we talk about this a lot, the big question mark for me is, is around the number eight. I like him. I think he's a world-class player when he's at his very best. Not sure I've seen that for a long time. And when I say a long time, I mean like a a year or so. He played in the game against Ealing Trailfinders, which Eddie went to watch. He's not played a lot of rugby. Mark McCall, his coach, admits that he's a player that, that plays better when he's playing regular rugby. So I'm fascinated to see how he goes because if England are to sort of rise themselves above where they've been previously, they need Billy Vanapola absolutely on top of his game. And I think that is the challenge for Eddie Jones to get the best out of him. If he can't get the best out of him, then he needs to think about his other options in the back row. Owen, oh, uh, where do you stand on Billy? I think Lawrence makes a really good point there. He's not the explosive Billy of of past seasons, obviously. I wrote um, after I, one of the two early games in the autumn that, that maybe, God forbid, the time had come to, to ask a question of whether he actually deserved his place in the side anymore. Which, which sort of felt sort of kind of sacrilegious. There was a, there was a period um, uh, about two, three years ago when we'd sort of, uh, th- th- there was a sort of a common view out there that uh, if Billy was in the team, then everything was going to be fine. And we, England sort of needed him there to, to really rise to, to their best. But, but, but now he's like, is, is he actually, does he actually command a spot? So Billy, when he's playing six or seven out of 10, is probably still just about a, an international test class player. But, only just about, and um, England England need more than that. Towards the end of the autumn, he, he was a bit better. He went up a gear, but I, I do agree, agree with Lawrence. He, he's, he's nothing like the, the boy we saw in 2016, 2017. Well, it seems now for years that no one's ever been really sure of the midfield combination, 10, 12, 13, or, or indeed the starting fly half, you know, the inside centre. Just, just uh, give us your views on where do you think Eddie will go then? Is he going to go 10, 12, uh, Ford and Farrell? Where does Lawrence fit in? Where, do, where does Slade fit in? Yeah, it's it's a funny one, isn't it? It's it's one that, I mean, when when it goes well, the Ford-Farrell axis, the, it's got lots of lots of merits, you know, because it you've got so much experience in there for a start. You've got so much quality in those two players. You know, the kicking game from both players, the ability to go in at first receiver, you know, forward at 10, Farrell at 12, or if necessary, they can swap round. I just think against certain opposition, it's it's not always the right the, the right team, you know, because it gets targeted in, in different ways. So I'm more of a fan of Farrell at 10 than I am at 12. But, I, you know, the vacancies at 12 and 13, you know, England haven't had huge amounts of options pouring through in those positions. So they've always had to go back to what to their tried and tested. And, and because they're such good players, it, I, I could see Eddie Jones leaning on that again. Um, he's tried Slade at 12. Clearly, he's a 13. And I think his mm-hmm. best position is there. You know, I, I still go back to England's best performances under Eddie Jones have been uh, have been with Farrell at 10, you know, Tuolangi at, um, at 12 and, uh, and, and a Slade, t- you know, at 13. So I would like to see that as in a ball player and... Um, and someone who's a bit more physical and robust on the game line, because 
I mean, Farrell at 12 doesn't really want to do that job, does he? He's an extra distributor. So uh, England tend to go wide early. And uh, and I think that that makes them easier to defend. Do you think that maybe in a year or two's time, we might be might be going, oh, that, that Cameron Redpath would have been nice for England. That was... um. I thought that was a pretty significant piece of news during the week. He was very dismissive, wasn't he? I mean, you guys were at the press conference, or, or, or virtually anyway. He just said, I'm not, I don't want to talk about Cameron Redpath. He's made his decision type thing. So it's a funny one, isn't it? It's, I mean, it's not like players turn around and say, I don't want to talk about Eddie Jones. He's made his decision. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's funny. The coaches are allowed to say things like that. The, the players... I'd be no. saying, I might be saying the same thing. I don't want to talk about Eddie Jones. He's, he clearly doesn't like me. Oh, and we've just put a slight question mark over Billy. Do you see a combination, say, um, Ollie Lawrence and uh, Henry Slade play out of their skins early on? Do you see a, a situation where they may even think of leaving out Owen, Owen Farrell? <laughs> no, I, 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 that, that, that's the uh, revolutionary side of you coming out, Jonesy. That's, we're just <laughs> not even allowed to contemplate stuff like that. Sorry. But, but do, I, do I think that's such a poor idea? No, I don't. I, I, I'm not sure that um, Owen is a... Um, just as a fly half is, is, is very far ahead of George Ford at the moment. Um, uh, in his defence, he certainly is, and Eddie would say in his leadership, which is why he's probably still the first on the team sheet. So, no, I don't think that would happen. But, but just as as a rugby brain and a, as a as a fly half distributor, reader of the game, etc., it would be lovely to see Ford Lawrence Slade. And uh, I don't know, maybe at some point that could be done through substitution rather than always substituting the twelve and bringing Ford in and, and sticking Owen out into the twelve position. I also think it's fascinating to, to it's going to be fascinating to understand how a lot of players who haven't played a huge amount of rugby, mostly for Saracens, are going to be able to step up to international rugby and, and will they be able to do that comfortably or, or or will they because you know there was a perception rather that when you uh, when, when you don't play very much that you're not battle hardened. Um, and now I don't know whether that's an old fashioned view from when I played. Or whether you can you can mitigate the, the the no games by just upping the intensity of training. I can safely say that I would not be comfortable myself going into a test match against Scotland, having only played one game in in the past six weeks or whatever it is. So, mm. but that's that's just me personally. Maybe maybe the training has moved on so much now that they can work out whether uh, whether players will be available. But it but it is fascinating because England, you know, if it goes well, everyone will say, oh, you know, it's. It, it, a rest is, is brilliant and they look fresh and full of ideas. And, and if, uh, if it doesn't go so well, then, you know, everyone's going to criticise England for being a slightly undercooked in certain positions. Mm-hmm. There are some players that, that do that quite well. So I remember we, we've had this conversation with Marrow a few times when he's come back from injury and slotted straight back into international rugby. And he just seems to hit, hit the high marks immediately. Mako Vinipola is quite good at it also. But I think there are some which, who probably will be find out, found out. And, you know, mm-hmm. you said yourself, Lawrence, you know, Billy's actually a player who we all recognise needs games to, to play his way into form. And, and he's certainly not going to have that. What Owen Farrell will be like, I, I mean, that, that's another question also. Lawrence, um, just have the final word on on England. And um, uh, one of your boys at was a dog woo. I mean, he's always had a little bit of a sort of flashy um, sense of attack about him. Suddenly, he seems to have just come through as a totally different player. Did you guys at Wasps, when you took him on, always sense he had something special? Well, I think this is a player who, if you're into your rugby, will know that um, you know hasn't just come from nowhere. He, he he grew up in the Leicester Academy. You know, he was a player that Leicester invested a huge amount of of work into. Uh, he scored a superb try on his debut for Leicester, and then for some reason, sometimes it's numbers, sometimes it's just decisions that 
that maybe they get it right, maybe they get it wrong, that they, they let him go. Uh, he went to sale and, you know, Steve Diamond picked him up, played largely on the wing. And I think when Wasp took him on, obviously he came in with Christian Wade leaving. So everyone thought he'd be a like-for-like replacement, you know, fast and, and, and an elusive winger. But, but actually... Lee Blackett must take the credit for moving him into the centre. He believes that that's his best position. Um, he's obviously seen a lot in a dog woo in terms of his running lines and his ability to break tackles. And, and that is the game at the moment. You know, the, if you can break the, break the, the game line and, and offload the ball or, or, uh, or run good support lines and, and get in behind, then, you know, you, you're going to get picked. So um, I think the key thing is that aerially, I think he's got a lot of work to do on his game, you know, which is why he's he's not picked on the wing, probably for Wasp, like the other players are. But it's it's fascinating that, that Eddie Jones obviously has spoken to Lee Blackett and feels that he's he's got that ability to to break the line. And and England haven't got that many players, unless the Villapolas are both firing on all cylinders. They haven't got that many, you know, game breakers that can actually smash through the line and offload the ball. And Adogu is certainly one of them. So delighted for him. And delighted for Harry Randall as well, who um, who just offers a slightly different threat, maybe a bit more of a risk taker. You know, mm. he runs great lines in and around the, the breakdown and, and, and the ruck. Um, so really, and his and his kicking game and his game management, which is a massive thing for Eddie Jones, has, has improved significantly. So you know, he's a tough boy. He's like a like a throwback to those old old school nines that we used to see. I mean, I played with his father um, Jody at Wasp for many years, and uh, you know, I'm delighted, obviously, that he's chosen England over potentially getting picked for Wales. Oh, in the, um, last week, Lawrence said that with regard to the Lions, it, it is the players who will des- be desperately wanting to the tour to go ahead and will be wanting a say, etc. Et As the debate warms up now, this week we've heard supposedly reports that, that the captains have got together and tried to sort of wield their influence and say, look, come on, this Lions tour is definitely uh, going to go ahead against South Africa. What do you make of that? And do you think it's a good thing that they've come into the debate? Yes. Um, isn't rugby history just a long, long book where administrators decided to do what they wanted to do and then um, told the told the players at the end what the solution was? Of course, it's good the players should have a say. Did we have this conversation last week or the week before trying to track what's going to happen? I don't actually think whether what they say will have anything to do with it in the end. I, think we're again, I now think we're just going to end up with with what is actually finally feasible, which might be a behind-closed-door store in South Jonesy, Africa. When, when are we going to find out what's going on with the Lions? You guys know everything that happens in our game. Well, I, I'm, a, get, um, I'm getting asked board. questions on a daily basis. What's going on? Is it going to be here? Is it going to be in South Africa? We thought there was going to be an announcement this week. When, when are we likely to find out? There's a board meeting on Friday. At that point, I think they'll... they'll I, I don't think they'll. I don't think there'll be, be, be any white smoke on Friday saying this is this is the solution. But I think they'll probably come close to deciding what they want to do, and then probably spend it for next week seeing if they can actually put it into action. So behind closed doors will probably be quite easy to, to solve. So yeah. I reckon may, maybe by the middle of next week we might know it's, what we're going to do. Good. I mean, there's no there, there won't be any fans in stadiums till September, right? So at the early in this country, uh, in this country at the yeah. Early. So there's so, no point. There's no point in having it over here anymore, then, is there? So therefore, well, they're they're probably looking at the commercial model. And if it's behind closed doors, you know, what what significance does that make? You know, can they, if it's in the UK, can they bring in more sponsors? How does that affect the existing sponsors? All of those questions. But I can't see, um, you know, crowds being in the UK in any sport until September at the earliest. So, you know, the question now, Jones, is, is, is does it get put put back to after the World Cup or, or does it just get, um, you know, cancelled indefinitely? And maybe they go to South Africa 
as the next tour. We must know one way or the other, because as usual, the secrecy surrounding it is phenomenal. Should just uh, just remind uh, listeners that there's a full program of um, Premiership games coming up this week. Many highlights. I mean, Bristol Bath is not too bad. Was Harlequins is not too bad. Actually, six terrific games. And uh, frankly, all the players go back now to England, but. I think we've found that the clubs are, are taking the season on pretty well with or without their players. So look forward to that. And uh, thanks a million to Lawrence today and to Owen. OK, that's the end of part one. Coming up, we're going to be speaking to Sarah and to Eleanor. But enjoy more rugby insight and analysis throughout the season with the Times and Sunday Times. Get a subscription today and get one month free. Search thetimes.co.uk forward slash the ruck for more details. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Okay, now it's Ruck Part 2. Luckily, we've managed to clear the studio of riffraff. So Lawrence and Slotty have uh, been turfed out. And we've got two really famous figures, both from women's rugby. And it's really, really a great pleasure to welcome Sarah Hunter. Sarah has won 123 caps and is currently England captain. Only one player in front of you now, Sarah. Are you going to try and knock off Rocky's record? I'm not sure anyone can get to, to Rocky's record. Um, she set the bar pretty high. Yeah, no, okay. I think that could be almost, almost impossible. She'd probably make a comeback if you try and do that. Yeah. Also from Wales, uh, Eleanor Snowsell. Eleanor's won 56 caps. And again, just an absolutely wonderful spokeswoman for for women's sport and for especially for rugby. It's so nice to have you both here. Just to start off, huge season for for women's rugby. The Premier 15s was was going great until it's, it was interrupted. Six Nations is, is is postponed, but is looming as something excellent, and the Rugby World Cup is coming. Sarah, we know that COVID is is a, is a wicked thing, and we know that people who lost their lives because of it. But just focusing on sport for a moment, how frustrating have you found? The, the sort of interruptions in all the activity. Yeah, so I think it probably stemmed from a bit of this time last year and when um, 
obviously COVID first struck and the Premier 15s got sort of stopped before I think people probably knew really a lot about it and probably rightly so at the time. And I think that that stop and that cancellation of it probably led us to being able to start afresh in at the new start of the season where obviously men's premiership wasn't able to do that and they've probably come unstuck around some of the issues there they faced and what they're facing now. So while it is frustrating that there's some disruption to it, I think we, we're one of the few sports and few leagues that are actually taking place this this season mm. and actually up until a couple of weeks ago it had it probably been relatively smooth in terms of the games played yes there was some postponements and there were some uh, rearranged fixtures but I think the nature and the way the league had been set up there was weekends that were given for those to take place so yes while the game couldn't go ahead there was already days which those could could go um so in the world we live in um, and the difficulty we live in, actually still being able to to have regular rugby week in, week out, I think it's been a real positive. Obviously, mm. as this sort of second or third peak, however we look at it, came around in December and January, I think it's almost like now a bit of the unknown around whether the league was going to continue, obviously having the pause and about how the league starts again. But I think there's there's real positive um, signs around that. So I think it's the, it's frustrating, but I think it's the, the world we live in at the minute where we have to adapt to to pretty much on a, a daily basis of what we're what we're being given. And I think that's shown real resilience in individuals and the teams across the league. Sarah, you've been struggling with injury uh, for a long, uh, for some time. You, you told me you're only just back and sort of in the foothills of getting back again. Is that any coincidence that the Six Nations have been put back? It wouldn't be <laughs> just for you, would it? Yeah, I put I put a special uh, word into to the organisers. Um, if you could just delay it a little bit, that would yeah. um, that would be really good for me. We knew you were powerful. It's, it's a, move on, <laughs> thing. a lot of the girls, a lot of the Welsh girls, have taken part in Premier Fifteens. How beneficial has it been for you and the, and, and your Welsh colleagues to to get that level of rugby? Because you don't actually have a team at the moment in Wales that's good enough probably to compete in that. Oh, it's huge for us. You know, if we hadn't have been, I've been playing in, in with Bristol for quite a few yeah. years now, probably about eight, nine years. So I've been really fortunate to have sort of reaped the benefits of that. But um, there was a real big push this season on trying to get as many girls um, in the Prem teams as possible. And if we hadn't have managed that, there would have been probably over half of our squad not having played any rugby at all. And they would have had to have gone into the Six Nations having played no competitive rugby. So it's it's a huge benefit for us. But it's not it's not just the competitive games, it's the whole environment that you're in. You know, it's such a professional setup, the standard of training, the use of gyms, because obviously facilities have been open and shut all the time over mm. here. So it's been quite inconsistent. And just access to like different players. You know, I think the Premier 15's put out a a video last week of how many different countries were playing in the Prem. And it was just incredible to to see. And it's just such such a 
nice thing to be a part of, you know, that it's a sort of a global premiership almost. So yeah, we're benefiting massively from it. How are you finding the uh, the new laws or at least the temporary laws? Yeah, it's um, the first few games were a massive shock to the system. It felt almost like in parts, it felt like you were playing sevens, you know, mm. just depending on how the game went. Um, if, if there was a couple of knock-ons or forward passes, you'd just be tapping and going, tapping and going. Mm. It, for me, I do like having a scrum because it pulls a lot of the players in and it gives us more space and it gives you more opportunity to attack you know and it makes you less reliant on your line out teams have become extremely good at defending the line out yeah. um, so it gives you slightly less sort of ball to attack from as a back line with space but it does I think it gets the ball in play more which which can be probably a more exciting game at times Just touching on Elle's point I've heard many backs say they want scrums back so it's not just the forwards that are wishing them <laughs> wishing them back but yeah I think there was so much uncertainty around what the what the product was going to be because obviously no one had seen it i think it probably took a little bit for people to to get used to get used to it but like Elsa says the the balls and play longer i think the way in which i think the the women's game goes anyway in terms of trying to play with with ball in hand a little bit more yes we get in kickers that are a great tactical kickers and readers mm-hmm. of the game and when to use it and when not to but if you obviously if you watch some of the men's game, it, it's probably used a, a lot more. Whereas in the women's game, I think that the way that these new adapted laws have allowed for that, it just means that actually I think it, it potentially is more um, enjoyable for for people to to watch. And I think alongside that, I think going back to your your question to Elle about the the Welsh girls being involved in the Premier 15s, I think we've seen it many nation and international players have, have come to join and I think that's probably added also to the quality of of the product as well so whilst it's benefiting Wales and developing them because they wouldn't have had much other opportunities to play I think it's added to to the competitiveness of the of the league that added to the quality of what is now being played in the league so I think it's almost a, a win-win on both accounts and I think We've probably got more international players playing in the league this year than we have ever had, which I think mm. is probably a reflection of the pandemic across the world and people needed to get rugby and we're one of the leagues going ahead. But I think it also probably adds to, to your point around how enjoyable it is to watch the game as well. What's uh, the next step is that you're going to be tested so that that makes it obviously sets your mind at rest, Eleanor? So we've got these tests now that give you results back within 30 minutes, I think. So you just have to turn up to training 30 minutes early, wait in the car while while you get your test results back um, and then you're allowed in if you, mm-hmm. if you pass them. And that's happening twice a week. So it just, I think, you know, if anyone, there's so many people now who are, or cases that we're, discovering that people are asymptomatic and even though we get temperature tested we wear masks all the time you know there's some some really good sort of things in place that just adds an extra layer of protection really to pick up on anyone who might not be having any symptoms six nations has been has been put back now uh, i just wonder whether um you eleanor the, the six nations never felt quite right where it was to me there would be a, a game at twickenham but it wouldn't be before the game it would be after the game at sort of midnight or there'd be a game on a Sunday etc I always thought you know why does it have to be on the same day etc and I don't I don't want to get you into political problems but let's say are you looking forward to having the limelight to yourself in April with the Six Nations? 
Yeah, I think there's definitely been benefits of running at the same time as the men. Obviously, the increase in publicity, the fact that we have captains launched together at the same time. You know, all those little things are huge benefits. And they've, over the past few years, have really pushed our sport into the limelight. So that's been great. Personally, I would really enjoy having it later in the year. I don't enjoy playing in the snow, which we've done quite a few years in the past. Yeah. It's sort of, it's more of a weather thing for me. Um, I would I would quite enjoy playing in slightly warmer weathers. I would also enjoy being, having the opportunity to be able to watch England play Ireland, all the other countries. And last year it was really tough. You know, we were all playing at the same time at quite a few different weekends. And you just kind of lose the whole build up of the weekend and the excitement. It's nice to, you know, get together and camp the night before your game or whatever and, and watch the other countries play. It's sort of part of the event, really. So for me, I'm, I, it's, it's a blessing in disguise, I think, just sure. being able to give us the opportunity to see how it goes, you know, as a standalone tournament. Well, there, there was one, as you said, there was one weekend last year where there were three games on at the same time, all yeah. on different streams or different different TV, and you, you could only see one. It was so ridiculous. Sarah, I, I think you might have been smiling at something that Ellen said there, which means you're either totally in agreement or totally in disagreement. I, I just think there's been numerous times and years where there's been a big discussion point about whether this women's six nations should move. And I agree with Elle on terms of there's been a lot of benefits that we've um, taken from it in terms of all the things that associate around the six nations is that actually the women have had part of that. But at the mm-hmm. same time, it's almost kind of sometimes been well, Oh, there's a women's Six Nations at the same time as the men. So it's a really tough one, I think. I think there's sort of discussions around whether it should be moved. Um, I think COVID's forced a lot of things on us. Some things are good, some things aren't so good. Where I think this gives us a real opportunity to move it, to see whether it does work and see whether actually a standalone Six Nations tournament does bring us more spectators, does bring us a better game, a better product. Maybe it brings more commercial investment, all the things around the women's game that we we want and we need to drive for for to keep the game moving forward this could be that moment that that allows us so actually I think like Elsa it probably is a blessing in disguise that we've been given something to try and and if it works brilliant we can hopefully maybe keep it there if it doesn't we can look at actually is it better going back to to where it was or does it need to be at a different point in the year but yeah the I think let's make the most of this opportunity and see how much we can really drive having the competition at a different time. So actually you can have a game on a Friday night, a Saturday and a Sunday and rugby fans wanting to watch all three games can watch all three and you can, you can make it like the men's games where you don't have concurrent games unless you want a super Saturday or something like something mm-hmm. like that. But, but yeah, I think let's, let's give it a go. Let's see how it is. And if it, if it's a positive, then, then why not, not stick to where it, where it is. There is this other option now, for instance, they, they've had a couple of games at Exeter and um, they, they were really well supported. There were big crowds, five figure crowds. Do you think that it's now time where the, the sort of national leaders went out to, ask people for bids and where they can guarantee crowds, maybe guarantee TV and really take it around the country a little bit? Yeah, I think um, having been involved in England when we only ever played in London and London yeah. was this play we played at, not even at uh, Twickenham, it was like, well, we have to play in London because that's where HQ's base. 
I think going around the country is a brilliant idea. I think where we are with the sport, actually, like you say, you take it to hotbeds of rugby where there's lots of women and girls rugby going to sort of get them to come. And I think it shows a product. Like you see, say, Exeter or when we went to Harlequins or when we played Wales, last Six Nations, is that people are seeing packed stadiums and almost the atmosphere around it and then thinking, well, do you know what? I want to go to a to an England game and then kind of generates that. And you've got people from Exeter will then potentially travel up to London to watch games or they might go up to Newcastle or they might go to Gloucester, wherever the next game is. You start to get this like fan base that is prepared to prepared to travel. And I think that's where you get your increased crowds. And then I guess that the aspiration one day would be to, to sell out Twickenham at a standalone event. I'm not sure I'll be around to, to be involved in that, but I'd certainly be in the stand watching when it happens. I think it's a, been a real good move in terms of how we, we grow the game around the country. At the minute, we're in Cardiff Arms Park and having the opportunity to try and sort of build our crowd and, and you know, look to fill that has, has been really good. And whilst it's on men's weekends in the past, it's that's been really good because people can sort of come and watch us and then walk over to the stadium to watch the men or, you know, all the people who flood in away and home supporters into Cardiff can actually watch both games because they're next door to each other. So while it's been on the same weekends as men, Cardiff Arms Park has been brilliant for us. Just going on, on touching on what England were doing, I think, is there a step further where they could look at, depending on who they're playing, so if they're playing Wales, could they go to a stadium close to Wales, so mm. you encourage even more away supporters sure. rather than to Gloucester. Like Gloucester or something Brown. like that, or Bristol. Yeah. Same, yeah, same for Scotland. So you really think then about the away teams and, and that just increases how many people you get coming to watch. Could you just move on to the World Cup? When it was um, awarded to New Zealand, you thought, God, that's a long way, but actually they're really on top of COVID there, so I think we can we can look forward without panicking that it's going to be on. Sarah, you've had real disappointments in World Cups and also also glory. How are you looking forward to this one? You're in an incredible pool, I think, with France and Wales. I mean, how good a pool is that? Yeah, I can't wait. When it was announced that it was um, New Zealand, it was almost a carrot for me to, to keep going. If yeah. there's any been like over, obviously, the last few months, obviously been difficult for me for injury. I'm like... Do you know what? Like, just have all sights set on setting on getting to getting to New Zealand, and that's the that's the target. And I couldn't think of probably other than probably playing in a home World Cup, which I've been very fortunate to to be able to do, is to to go down to New Zealand and play in a World Cup down in New Zealand. You know, mm. it's it's such a rugby mad country down there, and um, I've had some success down there and also some real, um, real unfortunate results down there as well. So with New Zealand being where they are with the whole COVID, like it's full steam ahead with preparations. It will be different. I've got no doubt about that with potential quarantine processes and maybe being away longer. They've got the excitement of quarterfinals this time round. We're in a, we're in a pool that you probably couldn't have made up of being against France, our arch rivals, and then two unknown teams, more or less. But we know a bit about South Africa, but obviously not a lot about Fiji. So, so yeah, it's 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 really exciting. And I think that's what almost being at the end of the year rather than the summer, it just adds this real excitement that it'll be sort of the 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 final final bit of bit of the year to to keep building towards. 
Eleanor, do you feel the same about it? The, the last time, incidentally, you were on the field in a Rugby World Cup game, you were played absolutely, sparing your blushes, brilliantly against Ireland in the seventh place match. And you realised that that was for qualification for the next World Cup, but you didn't tell anyone or you didn't tell many people. But that was just one of the... Was that one of your best games in the Welsh jersey? It was definitely a really good game as a squad. It's, you know... Um... I'm not talking about as a squad. I'm talking about individuals. <laughs> oh, well, I don't know. I was at 15, so yeah. I was just helping direct things from the back. Um, okay. Yeah, no, I think, honestly, like you said there before about knowing uh, we only a few of us got told so a few of the leaders in the team got told that how much was riding on this game in terms of automatic qualification for the next World Cup and um, to win that and win quite convincingly against um, sort of the home nation um, was was incredible you know I think in the games before that in the Six Nations we'd lost a couple of uh, a couple of times to Ireland so it, it was really really good and it's taken so much pressure off the last few years, you know, in terms of they've they, we've been able to develop a lot younger players um, and not have so much pressure on the results of the Six Nations. Um, and, you know, I really don't envy Ireland, Italy, Spain and, and you know, those countries who are, who are now in that sort of qualification process. But for us, we're, we're very happy to be there and just touching on having a World Cup in New Zealand. Um, it is literally for the players who, who make it there, it's going to be, you know, and the experience of a lifetime like World Cup in themselves are very very special things but to travel all the way over the other side of the world is just going to be incredible it's you know and to, to be there for such a long time as well it's going to be such a memorable experience for everyone who gets there Eleanor just just talk about the general the general picture um women's rugby you look at it and think blimey you know the the, the kids playing it now is unbelievable I mean just you can go down three rugby clubs at Reading all within three miles of each other and there's just hordes of youngsters playing, clearly loving it. Then you've got profile of a World Cup. You've got just so many growth things. I mean, even even World Rugby um, is increasing the number of, of women on the you know on the on the board. Whether or not they'll still keep all the power in the hands of three people, I don't know. But Ella, do you feel the frustration sometimes that despite all this progress, still seems to be slow? in terms of recognition? I think, um, so going back to your first point, the growth in the last five to 10 years has been absolutely incredible. I think for me, the big game changer was when they started putting a lot of our, started streaming a lot of our games, putting them on TV, because all of a sudden it opened it up to an audience wasn't just your friends and family or people who'd played the game. It was, you know, just sports fans, rugby fans, kids. And then suddenly you're out walking and these young boys are coming up to you and say, like, oh, I watched you on TV. That's amazing. You know, that sort of thing. So it's, so for me, that really was a game changer in terms of opening up our sport to a lot more. Yes, there's still frustrations. Um, you know, the recent iCare campaign on social media, I think, highlights those. And I think it's it's not so much the fact we don't expect everyone to like our sport or care about the sport, but it's the fact that they actually take their time out to comment on posts to do with us and, and say that they don't care or no one cares. And it's just one, it's untrue. 
And two, it creates, it's the environment it creates, it creates this perception. And for me, it's so important that we inspire as many young boys and girls as we can to play rugby. And if they're seeing those sort of comments on social media without anyone challenging them, then Mm. they might turn and think, actually, no, I'm not going to play rugby or I'm going to play a different sport. The huge positive and the huge difference between now and probably 10 years ago is the amount of support and positivity and love that we've seen for our sport. You know, it's Mm. been an app absolute outpouring of it on social media so we're now at the point where there's one negative comment and we're drowning it out with a hundred positive comments so yeah we're we're getting to a much better place it's not as if the current generation of girl players are just good rugby players there is a real because because you've not been pros all your life you've got lives outside the sport and isn't that the sort of great I hope I hope you get all go pro and get paid a million. But isn't the thing is that, that there's just some wonderful characters in women's rugby teams at the moment? Yeah, hundred percent. I totally agree with that. And I think the benefit of not being in academies and looked after from the age of fourteen, sixteen, and you know, not really being out and experiencing having a career in whatever we we do and meeting all these different people and all that sort of thing. Um, the benefit of that is you have more life stories. You have sort of a bit more of a rounded, probably character, I guess. Um, yeah. You know, you, you face challenges and you overcome them. For me, the the one thing that I've I've been told by other people watching is that they know when they watch a women's rugby game that the players on that pitch are a hundred percent passionate and a hundred percent want to be there because of the choices they've made to be there. I know I've sat next to a few high profile male players. Well, one in particular when I was playing with the Barbarians and he said he hated rugby. He was like, I I was so excited to sit next to him and like pick his brains and sort of learn from him. And he just had complete apathy for the game. He was just riding out his career because he didn't know what else to do. And he was just trying to make some money until he retired. So for me, I thought, how can you be in that position? And, you know, and, you know, watching that kind of thing is just when you watch the women's game, there is none of that, you know, because sure. they wouldn't be there if they didn't feel no. extremely passionately about it. I think what will be interesting, like Al says, is when it becomes fully professionalised, the whole game, and hopefully one day you'll start to see the money that men's players are, are getting. Mm. That'll be the in- interesting thing. And, I would take amateur days and play for the reason why I play now than in 20 years' time and people are playing for the wrong reasons. Well spoken. Ella, can I just ask you this, both this question, but you first, Del. In terms of the, the, the sport for women, what, what is the next stage? Uh, we've got to make all the international countries more competitive so that People are watching the Six Nations and it's not a two-horse race. And the same for the World Cup, that any any one of those 10 to 12 teams could be in the, in the quarters and in the semis. So for me, I think that's that's what needs to be the next stage and getting people, once once we're allowed to, getting people back in to watch and, and getting more people. So bigger marketing campaigns, because, you know, there, there are people out there who love the sport and who want access to it. Let's just shove it in their faces. And, you know, so that they can't avoid it. I think it's probably got even bigger steps because of what COVID's happened. But um, I think investment, it's got to come, I think, at national level, in well, international level. So I think got to see more investment from other countries into their their women's programmes to try and 
make them semi-professional professional some way to try and enhance that um so again it people are becoming more competitive around the world and then the on a domestic front i think again the investment into sort of premier 15s in this country but other national domestic leagues uh, around around the world but again where does that investment come from it comes from having more commercial interest being more visible through being more tv streaming more coverage um elsewhere so it's a bit of like a chicken and the egg thing we get more fans in they apply more money into the game more money can be driven back into into investing it back into giving people contracts so so yeah unfortunately i think it all probably comes down to down to money i don't think it should be one country fighting against the other i think we've got a real good opportunity to almost pull together and go we all want women's rugby to go in one Mm -hmm. direction how are we going to support each other to to do that at the top level whilst actually you can still remain competitive and have all this rivalry on the actual playing level but have some sort of strategic plan of going right well how are we going to move women's rugby in the right direction Sarah Hunter and Eleanor Snowstill thank you so much for speaking so beautifully that was the Ruck Times and Sunday Times podcast we'll be back next Monday thank you very much thanks to everybody out there for listening